Welcome to Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes, a podcast. In this series, hosts Cassie Robel, the Director of Education, and Kathleen Trott, the Shop Manager for the Marlowe Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop, will introduce you to all the departments and people at Arizona Opera that are necessary to produce the operas you enjoy. Today, we are joined by Dr. Miriam Shieldcret, PN1, an Education Teaching Artist at Arizona Opera. We'll start this episode off with our trivia from last month. Which of the following operas does not have music in the Bugs Bunny cartoon, What's Opera Doc? The Flying Dutchman, The Valkyrie, Tom Hauser, or Das Rheingold? The answer is Das Rheingold. All three of the other ones all have segments that are represented in the cartoon. True or false? Wagner cried bravo for his own opera and was hissed at by audience members. The answer is true. It was actually thought that he didn't want that to happen and it upset him. So he started crying at his own opera and the audience members thought he was being disrespectful and they hissed at him. We are so lucky to have Miriam with us today. Hey, Miriam. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So those of you who don't know Miriam by her first name, uh, <laughs> Miriam is an education teaching artist with Arizona Opera and looking forward to kind of diving deep into what an education teaching artist does with the company. Mm-hmm. So to start, Miriam, um, in the beginning of this episode, I introduced you as Dr. Miriam Shieldcret, mm-hmm. PN1. Mm-hmm. So will you talk to us a little bit about your background and um, how what you have done to get the titles that you have and, and your process becoming an education teaching artist? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to say that my kind of career journey, I guess it were, uh, started pretty typical for an aspiring opera singer. I went to undergrad and got my bachelor's degree in voice performance, got my master's degree in opera performance from ASU, Arizona State University for out-of-state listeners. Um, And that's where I kind of deviated. A lot of singers then, when they're done with their master's, decide to go on to young artist programs. And at that point, I'm a mezzo-soprano and I was 24 when I got my master's and I just felt a little young to go into like you know the audition scene so I thought you know what like I'm really liking school I have motivation I like my teacher let me stay get my doctorate I'm sure I'll use it at some point um so I stayed and got my doctorate that's the or uh DMA doctor of musical arts also at ASU um and that led me into becoming an education teaching artist at Arizona Opera I started that in 2017 which was my last semester of my doctorate while I was writing my dissertation about children in opera. So it was kind of a crazy time, but also fun. And then the PN1, that is Precision Nutrition Level 1 certification. So I'm also a nutrition coach. And I got that certification for a couple reasons. One, my husband and I also run a business called High Note Performance, which is a a business that kind of uses techniques that traditional athletes like soccer players, football players, and other coaches are using in athletics and applying them to the performing arts. Um, 
So I became a nutrition coach to help coach some nutrition for clients one-on-one, but also over the past year, I'd been going into high schools and middle schools talking about health and wellness and performance anxiety for teenagers and just talking from personal experience, not from any sort of credentials. And I thought, you know what, let's get some credentials. So I got that over the summer and it's been really great. It's um, I've been able to incorporate a lot of what I learned in my talks that I've been doing even just in the past couple of weeks. And it's been awesome. They've been responding really well to it. That's quite the journey that you've taken. Can you tell us a little bit about what a teaching artist actually is at Arizona Opera and maybe talking a little bit about how it was pre-COVID and how it was during COVID. Um, I am lucky enough to say that Miriam has stuck it out with me pre-COVID, through COVID, and hopefully post-COVID. But yeah, will you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah. I, first of all, should also say I am very lucky that I was able to continue working and doing some really valuable work during COVID. It it ended up being really cool. So pre-COVID, being an education teaching artist meant doing shorter versions of operas for elementary and middle school students. So we usually had two shows that we toured across the state of Arizona. One was like an abridged version of Cinderella, let's say that was the last one that we did. And then we would also do kind of a skit that had a little bit more teaching in it for older students. Um, And that was a hugely successful tour. We reached, was it something like 40,000 students, Cassie? Yeah, we reach about 40 to 50,000 year round uh, through our teaching artist programs in Phoenix and in Tucson. So it's it's definitely exciting. So it was so, so cool. There's typically two troops, one that does a tour in Tucson in the fall and one that does a tour in Phoenix in the spring. And I'm part of the Phoenix tour. And we would do our show in Phoenix at least about a hundred times. So that was my first real experience in, you know, doing a role over and over and over in the same show over and over and over and finding, you know, the nuance and all this stuff to keep it alive and keep it fun. So then of course COVID hit and the story with that, we were doing Cinderella. We had our set all set up and that was when some schools were closing, but not all of the schools. And so we were at, I think a charter school and we had our set up and no kids were showing up and no kids were showing up. And finally we heard from the principal and he said, I'm so sorry, I was just in a meeting. We're trying to determine how we can socially distance. And after some talking with teachers and realizing a lot of students had symptoms, which was terrifying, (laughs) uh, they determined that it wasn't safe for us to perform. So we took our set down, came back to the opera center and that was the last time we did our show, which March, 2020. So then um, summer happened and Cassie reached out to me and said, okay, We're trying to see how do we bring education into this COVID world now? Would you be interested in doing some sort of virtual something? And I was like, yes, because at that (laughs) moment, right, all performers were like, can I do something, please? So we came up with what we called our virtual masterclass uh, workshops. And basically me, along with another teaching artist, would virtually visit classrooms and talk about a whole bunch of topics. I usually was talking about health for performers, uh, performance anxiety, opera history. I also did some vocal master classes, voice lessons, and we did that for the entire school year. Last year, we're still doing it this semester, and it was so, so cool and so rewarding. I was primarily working with high school students with individual classrooms. So in the past, we'd been seeing like, you know, half the school at once. So it would be a bigger audience. And in these virtual masterclasses, I was able to really 
talk almost one-on-one with students and especially during COVID getting to talk to teenagers about their mental health, about coping with performance anxiety, whether that's even turning on your camera in class or now that we're back in person, how do you talk to another person in real life? So I've, I've felt so fortunate. It's, I never thought my career would go this kind of motivational speaker way, but I love it. And it's just kind of exploded. And like I said, I feel so fortunate and I'm so excited to see how education goes in the future. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when COVID hit, at Arizona Opera and a lot of places, um, I mean, I had to 100% pivot my programs. All of our programs were in person or in theater. Um, and while that was really difficult, I'm really excited for the future because it almost gave us the time to figure out, well, what else can we do? And none of these things have to stop. You know, we may physically be in Phoenix, but because of the pandemic, we are able to go up to Prescott and we're able to go all the way down to Douglas. And to, I mean, we're able to serve all of Arizona, um, either virtually or in person. And so while the pandemic has been hard and is hard and will be hard, it has opened up a lot of opportunities for us in the education department to start to um, serve people both virtually and in person. And we're, we're dipping our toe back to being in person, but there's always that fallback and there's always that way to connect. And, and I think that's a nice kind of bright light in this, in this horrible time that we're going through. Yeah. And even, I mean, last year we were able, because we were virtual, I have friends, of course, from undergrad who teach all over the country. So for the first time, the education department was getting to, I think I did a talk in New York in Pennsylvania and California. So we could be like, we are nationwide, which is really exciting and fun for me to get to reconnect with old friends and see what they're doing. Yeah. So it seems like one of your favorite parts about being a teaching artist is actually your interaction with the kids and helping and having that feedback from them. So then what is most challenging for you about being a teaching artist? Oh, that's a great question. So I think one of the challenges is kind of a technical challenge when we were performing live. Um, Of course, because of school hours, most of our shows are at like 9 a.m., 10 a.m., which for opera singers is awfully early. A lot of (laughs) us are night owls, right? Voice is still asleep. (laughs) Yes, right? So that, I think, was probably one of the biggest challenges with being live in person singing was figuring out, okay, how do you do this show? So it's rewarding for the kids. So they're getting opera while also you know, healthfully singing at 9 a.m., also knowing that you have eight shows a week. So I, I mean, this took a couple seasons to figure out, but I even in a way have like a second score in mind that I sing. (laughs) Cassie's nodding because she knows she's heard it. (laughs) Yes. So for me, um, for my own vocal health uh, as a mezzo, I have difficulty singing my high notes really early in the morning. That'll be the first thing to go. So I will kind of on my own rewrite things so I have nothing above the staff that I'm singing before like 11 a.m. Usually I warm up into it and then so I let all my cast members know too like hey if I'm not singing the notes that were on the page don't worry like it's good (laughs) and it's also it's just a different beast from performing you know the main stage shows for uh, the adult audiences that we have a lot of the students that we're reaching they've never heard opera before they've never even seen live theater so 
they don't mind if I'm not singing a high G, that's what the Sopranos there for. They more just need that live theater. They need to hear what an operatic voice sounds like. So it's also, you know, it's a challenge, but it's also really rewarding because it takes that pressure off of feeling like, okay, I have to technically nail this every time. It helps you reevaluate as a performer. Yeah. I think to add to that too, a lot of people may not realize that not only does do the troop members perform but they are also driving our education van yep. they are building <laughs> our little mini set in whatever venue they have whether it i mean it can be anything from a performing arts center to a cafetorium with lunch being made in the background and and they do it all they drive there themselves they build this put the set together themselves they perform they take it down and they go to the next school so there are so many challenges that go into this but there is nothing like watching kids walk into their gym that has been transformed into an opera theater and I mean they're just especially with Cinderella we were able to work with the Arizona Opera Scenic Studio to build um, a little mini real life set and so I mean the kids are just floored when they see this stuff and it's it's all worth it but there are a lot of challenges associated with um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's really true. We, you know, we're not just the performers. We're also kind of like the stage managers mm -hmm. and we become our own, right? We have a director and we have a costume department and a scenic department that puts everything together. But when you're there in the moment and things break or things go wrong, you, you know, you're thinking on your feet and you're being flexible and a hundred percent. They've got um, not only the scenery, but they also have the costumes you mentioned. Mm -hmm. The Arizona Opera <laughs> Costume Artisan Workshop designs and builds all of our costumes. So if there's any problems there, I mean, there's changing going on. It is a full production, just miniaturized. So. And a full production that we're doing over and over right. and over. <laughs> so things break. Right. Poor Cassie would get all kinds of phone calls of, um this bird broke off the or one time I was in Hansel and Gretel and I was there was like a little cage thing that Hansel was in and I stepped through it wrong and I broke the entire cage it just all came down and I was like well this is life now you know you just keep going and then send Cassie a text of like sorry I broke the cage <laughs> I do really like though Miriam that you took the opportunity that was presented to you about like being healthy and maintaining your voice and that you've you know transformed it into connection with the students and stuff because i think that a lot of people don't realize how much care and work you sort of need to give yourself in order to stay healthy yeah and i was really open with the especially with the virtual classes that we're having of like hey listen i struggled too during covid this is a hard time that we're all in that we're still all in and you know i would tell them about that I was working with a therapist that these are the strategies I use for my mental health. And if my mental health isn't in a good place, then I can't do mm -hmm. my job and the rest of my body isn't going to be in a good place. And I think for them to, I mean, I remember being a teenager and how hard that was and your body's going through so many changes. And then to put this on top of that, I think it, I, we got a lot of feedback from teachers that were just so thankful that you know, we were willing to come in and be honest and be vulnerable about that. And I mean, we also, we get questions where students will ask, have you ever lost your voice? Like, have you ever gotten sick? And for me to be like, yeah, yeah, I have. And that's hard. And yeah. sometimes, you know, this is a, that, that was another challenge with opportunity is pre COVID, right? We would 
get colds or something and you had to weigh, okay, can I still perform mm -hmm. because you don't want the kids to miss out on a show? Am I able to get through it marking, that kind of thing? Um, but I've had situations where I've completely lost my voice and not being able to sing a concert or a performance or something. And it's really hard. So to let them know, yeah, I'm human. My body's my instrument. And there's times that my body isn't working right. And so I have to listen to it and rest and do what I need to do. I think it's probably better for all of us kids included to be honest about all of that stuff. And I do like that. I feel like as a result of having to have kids do stuff not on campus, the sort of discussion about mental health and anxiety has become really sort of in your face. Mm -hmm. And I actually like that because it, I think that we need to get rid of that stigma of being ashamed when you have to be like, I'm too sick to do this. Yeah. Or I can't do this today because my brain can't handle it. Right. Because if we just keep pushing through those things, we will eventually just hit the wall and fall down. And being an adult and being able to be honest with kids about the fact that you have to know who you are and just be like, nope, not today. Yeah. I think it will hopefully help us all grow and be healthier in the future. Yes. Because we've stopped being ashamed of that thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I would tell students that I'm obviously a huge advocate for mental health. And that's probably why I'm open about it, that I had a therapist that I worked with. And um, saying, like, you know, uh, we have a physical checkup that we do once a year with our doctor. Like, why not do that with a mental health yeah. expert? Why do we wait until things are truly wrong? Falling right? to pieces. Like, yeah. you know, and so... I, I always encourage them because at school they have their counselors they have all these resources like use your resources because it will only help you and yeah absolutely I agree 100% to get back to your your AZO life you mm -hmm. are not only an education teaching artist you're also in our chorus mm -hmm. so can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been with Arizona Opera and how you wound up here yeah. and in the chorus and as a teaching artist yeah so I've uh, okay, I started in the chorus, I think my first season was 2013, 2014, and my first show was Flying Dutchman, and in that same season, I think we did Lava Wham, is that right? So I think, oh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, I think that was in Miriam 2014. Miriam is looking at me, <laughs> I was here that season. Uh, no, that was, tr it's Traviata. Was that Traviata? Dutchman was Traviata, I think. Was it Bohem too? Oh, golly. It might have been. It all blends together. <laughs> I just remember it was one of those. Because I remember I was contracted only for Dutchman, which was really more of a concert version. Mm -hmm. And the chorus was just on stage singing in the background. Yes. It was just the principals who were costumed. Exactly. And mm -hmm. then there was somebody, somebody had to drop out of either Traviata or Bohem. Now I'm forgetting. And so mm -hmm. I was really excited because I was like, oh my gosh, it's a main stage with like costumes and set. Which yeah. is why I looked at Kathleen because that, that's like my first costumed production mm -hmm. at AZO and um, my first experience with Arizona Opera was the previous year because I was a student at ASU they had the um, cover study program uh, where uh, students from ASU could what's called cover study principal roles of shows that they were doing so that means you learn the entire role you get it memorized as if you were going to perform it but because we were students we did not ever go on for performances like a cover would so i was cover studying Kerubino, 
and Marriage of Figaro during the 2012-2013 season. So that helped. I was able to know a little bit of the production staff. I got to meet Carrie doing that. And so then when I came in for my chorus audition, that was really nice because they already knew me. They knew that you know I was prepared and knew my stuff and um, they could put a face with the name. And so I've been singing with chorus since, I guess, 2013. And then, okay, I think this was in 2015, Josh reached out to me. He was the education director at the time and asked if I would be interested in being a teaching artist because he'd heard great things about me from Henry, our chorus master at the time. Um, and based on my audition, he thought I would do really well. And at that time, I was like, oh, this sounds really cool, but I am a full-time student. Can I make the schedule work? And it looked like it I couldn't make the schedule work. And so he said, okay, I'll keep you in mind for future years. And I kind of didn't think anything of it because I was like, okay, he's going to find another mezzo that he loves and it's going to be no big deal. And then he reached out the next year. And as luck would have it, I didn't have a class schedule. I was just writing my dissertation and I went, I can do that. And <laughs> it was hard, but I did it. <laughs> and then, you know, it's just been ever since I've now done, gosh, four shows. I think so. You've been in Rusalka. Mm-hmm dissertation and rusalka at the same time she do you know play the evil sea witch yeah. in the morning and then go write a chapter at yep, night yep i think you've done magic flu yes you've done cinderella hansel and gretel hansel and gretel mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yep so that's four. and all four were so fun they're just all of them had different things like being in Rusalka, I got to be the villain in that show, which is not something I do a lot, and that was really fun. Um, and it's Hensel's one of my dream roles, so to get to do that. Cinderella was one of my dream roles, and again, I'm not usually the ingenue, I'm usually the you know, fun sidekick. And Magic Flute, I was playing five characters in that yeah, show, so yep, that yep. was a fun challenge. <laughs> yeah, and some of them were puppets. <laughs> yes, and Queen of the Night, which I would never sing right. in real life. Yeah. I got to, I think I sang like the opening bit of Otsutunisht before yeah. It then went into crazy soprano territory. And so that was really cool to get to put Queen of the Night on my resume and make everyone be like, what? <laughs> huh? How? How are you doing I that? Think, I think though Miriam is a really good example as a performer of evidence that being a good collaborator and, you know, being talented, but working hard. That the two other things, that talent is important, but the other two things. You have to be a good team member and a good collaborator because Miriam came into my life as a chorus member and instantly. She was one of those ones that we were like, yes, please keep her always <laughs> everything. I concur. <laughs> she just is kind and gracious and works hard and is appreciative and those things in this business but in pretty much everything mm -hmm. in life they'll carry you a long long way you have to have talent but that will only take you a very short way down the path if you're a terrible person to work with <laughs> you won't keep getting rehired right because there are other people who are talented yeah, well, I'm so appreciative of that. <laughs> and for specifically for opportunity, you also have to be good at handling curveballs. I mean, yeah. I can't even begin to say that. And I'm sure chorus is actually probably similar in that yeah. things happen. Oh yeah. Sometimes we show up to a school and they have no idea we're supposed to mm -hmm. be there. Sometimes there's lunch on the stage and we're like it's just curveball after curveball and it just 
speaks a lot to who you are. So Thanks. I echo what Kathleen mm-hmm. is. And I think too, I mean, I think other performers and probably people in other fields would agree with me about this, that one of the things COVID really solidified was, you know, I was in my house singing by myself. And after a while I was like, I'm really done singing by myself. Right. And I was even like, if I'm in a show and I don't have my own aria, I do not care. Cause I've done a whole year of that. And that's truly what I have missed is, and that's, I think what makes any art amazing is the collaboration that you mm-hmm. do with others. I would much rather have a scene partner that I'm singing with, that I'm acting off of than doing it by myself. And I think especially after this year where we were all doing it by ourselves, even yeah. if you're doing a virtual production and you're filming everything with a green screen, it's not the same as mm-hmm. being so. I just, things are finally coming back and like my church choir job just started up in our first Sunday singing I mean I literally started crying Mm -hmm. because singing in a choir or a chorus which was something that maybe beforehand I was starting to take for granted it was just something to make money like it reminded me of why I do what I do and it Mm -hmm. is the people and the friends that you make and that my favorite part is the rehearsal process because I love seeing a show come to life and making those choices and connecting with people in that way so Thanks so much for saying such nice things. So to swing back around, have you always wanted to to do this? Like even as a little kid, were you like, I want to do opera. I want to do live performance. I don't know if I always wanted to do opera as a kid, but I, I'm really fortunate that I'm in a family of all people in the performing arts, like mm. every single person. My dad is a choral conductor. My mom is a dance teacher. She was recognized by the National Dance Education Association as the best K through 12 dance teacher a couple of years ago. So she's, she's pretty special. And my older sister is in theater. She works at the Kennedy Center in Washington, DC and their theater for young audiences department. So she's also doing education Mm. with theater for kids. So, um, when I was young, I was always going to rehearsals and performances with my parents because it was either that or getting a babysitter, you know? And, um, I just, my parents joke that I could sing before I could even talk. I was just like singing, twinkle twinkle in my crib and dad would just nerd out with all his like music education colleagues to be like hey she can match pitch she's singing right now they'd be like no she's not and then oh, I'd be over in the crib going like e ooh, e ooh, e <laughs> and they're like so, oh, so music was and theater was always a part of my life and I think being a singer was something that I would always think of you know when you're a kid and you're like I'm gonna be a marine biologist I don't know why we all wanted to be marine biologists <laughs> by the way like how many of us actually were but that was like the thing to be i agree agree with that (laughs) but so it was marine biologist it was vet but singer was always a thing that i was like i'm gonna do that and singing just always brought me such joy and i think as i got older i was singing mostly in choruses so i started in children's chorus and my voice really lended itself more to classical singing i i had to learn how to like develop my chest voice and i still don't really consider myself a belter though i can now kind of like fake music theater um and it was when i was in high school that i was having a lot of success i was getting into the top choirs in my high school getting into regionals all state and i was like and singing was always the thing that I would do when I was sad. If like I had a bad day at school, you know, if I was being teased or bullied, I'd come home and I'd sit down and play some chords on the piano and just sing a song. And it always made me feel better. Um, And so I kind of around the time that I was 15 or 16, I went, you know what, I'm kind of good at this. And 
it makes me feel really good and I love it. And so I told my parents, it's like the coming out to your parents that you're going to be a performer. And I remember my dad's first reaction was like, oh no, what have I done? (laughs) And he'd go, you sure you don't want to like play violin or something like that? I was like, no, I want to sing. And so we had a conversation because he taught choirs at college and knew kind of what it takes to become a music major and then a performer for career we talked a lot about you know knowing my languages getting really really good at my uh, skills of you know oral skills like sight reading and theory and the things that we talked about earlier of making sure you're a good colleague I remember you said you know you can't control the voice that you have you can't control your talent necessarily but you can control your preparation you can control how you treat people you can be respectful you can show up on time and I really just took that to heart because I think it's another thing that comes up in nutrition coaching of what is within your control what's outside of your control and trying to control the things that you can gives you more power gives you more strength more confidence and Yeah, so I guess the rest is history. I went on and did the thing, and I'm still doing the thing, and I can still pay my mortgage, which is great. Yeah, that's the goal. That is. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Miriam. Arizona Opera is excited to begin our 2021-22 50th anniversary season and return to the stage. We are kicking off the season with our first feature film, The Copper Queen. The Copper Queen will be screened in select Harkins theaters in Phoenix and Tucson October 29th through November 4th. The film will also be available on Arizona Opera On Demand beginning November 5th. Our Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Shop Masterclasses return with Intro to Silk screening. This class will be a two-part class on November 4th and 6th, and you have the option to attend in person at the Opera Center or virtually online. November will also feature our Coffee at Care series at the Care Cultural Center, presented by Courtney Clark, Arizona Opera's new Director of Community Alliances, and the Brown Bag Lunch Recitals featuring the Marion Ruth's Poland Arizona Opera Studio. To find all of Arizona Opera's upcoming events, visit azopera.org slash upcoming events or azopera.org and click calendar. Please be sure to check the COVID-19 safety requirements prior to attending an Arizona Opera event. To stay up to date on all of Arizona Opera's events and performances, be sure to subscribe to our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. right, Miriam. So now that we've talked about your background and why you're here and all of that, let's let's talk a little bit about what you expect to come up at Arizona Opera and in your outside life for this season and maybe for a little bit into the future. Yeah, absolutely. So this season, we're super excited. We're back live performances. So I will be in the chorus of Carmen and of Cozy Fantute in the spring. So I am so, so excited. Carmen is one of my absolute favorite shows. It's one of the most fun chorus shows you can do because the chorus is on stage like the whole time. I think I remember from the last time we did Carmen, anytime we weren't 
on stage we were changing costumes or like real quick getting a drink of water that was like the one time that even the chorus really needed that half hour intermission because we just needed to sit down for a second and like breathe <laughs> so I'm just so excited to do that again and Cozy is one of my absolute favorite shows I did that at ASU I was um Dorabella during my master's I believe and it's just such a fun show to be a part of and that one for chorus is kind of the opposite it's very light so you get to just hang out backstage and chill and then run on and sing some easy music and listen and have a good time. Um, we are hopeful that our tour will come back in the spring and we'll be able to go back into elementary schools, however that looks, whether we're outside, whether we're in a giant gym. Uh, so we're, I mean, the name of the game is already being flexible, but I think people are going to be even more flexible knowing like, I, I know I'm at least a person who's like, however we can make this work, we're going to make it work with performing. Um, I am excited. I have more performances coming up in the spring as well of like, you know, singing solos. I think in the summer I'm doing uh, the solos in the Mozart Requiem with uh, my dad's choirs in Maine. And so it's neat to see things coming. I'm also doing, um, uh, I don't think I told you this, Cassie. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing a teacher professional development workshop in the spring um, for, I think this is through the Arizona Commission for the Arts, maybe. And I'm doing a talk on how to create a safe space for your students. Oh, that's great. Yeah. How cool is that? So that this is another thing that just kind of fell out of the blue when I was looking for things to do. I reached out and filled out an application last year and they said, oh, sorry, we have everything worked out. And then they reached out to me like a couple weeks ago and said, hey, would you be available on this Wednesday in February to do your creating a safe space? talk and I was like sure why not so I'm really thrilled to do that to be working with teachers about how to do kind of what I've been doing of help students open up help them be the people that they are and let them feel safe to come to you about things what age group of kids is your favorite to work with it depends on what I'm doing I would say so if I'm teaching big groups and I'm the one teaching I like working with older students so whether they're high schoolers or um, undergrads are my favorite favorite age I love them because they're excited to be there and you know they're excited to learn and they're just a great age I really like working one-on-one -on -one with middle school age students because in groups they can be a little bit of a nightmare so like <laughs> Thank you so much to middle school teachers yeah. out there. Oh my no, gosh, you are yes. doing the work yes. of, oh, it's amazing. But I love them one-on-one -on -one because I think being right that age, like 11 to 13, you're going through so many changes. You don't know who you are as a person. They're trying to figure it out. So when you have them one-on-one, -on -one, I feel like I'm really able to help them figure out who the heck they are and what they care about. And then, of course, doing the performing for like the littles is hilarious because they don't know yet to like sit quietly and just pay attention like they will absolutely react they think that you are truly the character that you're playing I've been asked more than once if I'm actually a witch if I'm actually a seven-year-old boy and it's just so cool to be like to see them really get immersed in that world um so then since you like working with kids so much is your favorite non-arizona opera project also involving kids or is it something else completely different oh i really the stuff that i do i mean i do private teaching on my own and i love that different you know it's a different 
beast because I get to know each of these kids and it kind of like for instance right now I'm not a mom or anything and I feel like this really taps into my maternal instincts of being able to connect with kids in that way. Most of the performing and the projects that I do outside of Arizona Opera though are more, you know, oratorio stuff that I'm singing, doing like shows here and there. Um, I've loved the young artist programs that I've gotten to do. I was once, I did South Pacific with Ashlawn Opera, which was one of my few musicals that I've been able to do. And that was so fun. I guess I really like when I get to do things that are different for me like you know South Pacific had a lot of dancing in it and I had to be in a bathing suit on stage which was a little scary um but like um yeah so that's it and Arizona Opera has also opened doors like we said to a lot of other talks so um I've been able to reconnect with friends and do guest artist talks in their classrooms virtually I do um and doing the keynote speaker thing was really cool. It's just whenever I get these things that just kind of pop into my lap, I'm like, yeah, let's go for it and see what happens. In the past, uh, this was years ago now, but I was over the summer interviewed by PBS. I think there was Cronkite News. Um, Zach Hayhurst sent them my way because they wanted to interview a local opera singer because they were doing a series about artists and their impact on the community. And Zach sent them my way. And so that was really cool. It was the summer they did, like, and they interviewed me and they filmed me uh, teaching at the music studio where I worked. And I talked about education, teaching artists work that we do. And then a woman who saw that was organizing a TEDx Scottsdale talk. And so she reached out to me and said, hey, we're doing this uh, series of TEDx Scottsdale women. And I thought there could be a talk there about opera bringing confidence to young people and young girls and I was like yeah cool why not so I applied and I did it and it was terrifying but also so cool that was probably my first like toe dip into motivational speaking and so I always have things coming up and pop up that are cool like that that I never thought I would do and I love when I go for it and it ends up being really cool it's been so amazing to chat about all these things and how sort of grounded you are and how you apply everything to the kids. Um, but let's do some sort of fun speed round questions Ooh. is what they're called. Um, and you can, you know, of course, be a little bit more verbose in your answers. But okay. <laughs> they're sort of what we're after is like that, what you instinctively kind of mm -hmm. think. So what role have you always wished that you could have done, but you have completely the wrong voice for? Oh, the first one that comes to mind is Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that's that. such a fun one. I would love to do that, but I am not, you know, a Seymour. But yeah. I love that show. <laughs> uh, my So to show how much of nerds my sister and I are, this is how you knew we were going to end up in the theater world. When we were kids, we would like stage full productions in our basement uh, and we staged all of Little Shop and she was Seymour and I was everybody else which in a way prepared me for mini magic flute uh -huh. <laughs> but, yeah. so also like being the doo-wop girls would be amazing which uh -huh. again I'm not the voice type I am not the you know the race for that but like it's so I can appreciate it as an audience member mm -hmm. and I just love that show <laughs> that's fun um so to diverge completely from mm -hmm. opera what is your favorite non-domesticated animal? Whoa. 
non-domesticated. Mm-hmm. Probably a monkey. Oh, I love a specific monkeys. kind of monkey, or just in general. In ch- okay, so have you been to like the monkey village at the zoo? Where they the like little squirrel monkeys? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, which also fun fact about me: my husband and I got married at the zoo, so that That's tells you cute. a lot about us. Yeah, <laughs> and so we got had some photos taken in like the orangutan exhibit. We have a great series of photos. I think probably the white dress caught the orangutan's attention because mm-hmm. it came like right up yeah, sure. to the oh. glass, and like all these kids were trying to run up, and the moms are like, "No, they're getting their they're photos." Getting <laughs> So we have like once of this like orangutan's face like pressed against the the glass. So probably all apes and monkeys, I would say, mm-hmm. hold a special place in my heart. All right. So then if you had the power to make a vegetable disappear forever, which one would it be? Do mushrooms count? Are those a vegetable? Are I, they a fungus? I mean, we think that things that aren't actually vegetables, vegetables. So I think I've got a better fine. one. Wait, okay. okra. Okra can go. I have I have a personal <laughs> beef with okra. So I before <laughs> before we moved to Arizona, um, my family lived in Winston Salem, North Carolina. So I did most of my elementary school years in the South, and my parents did a very good job of trying to get rid of my Southern accent, which I was developing as a little kid. But I once ordered my lunch, and I thought I had ordered tater tots. And it was fried okra. Oh, and let me tell you. Not the same. No. When you dip your tater tot in ketchup and go to bite into it and it's green and slimy, no, absolutely not. Uh, I've never had it since. It's possible I like it, but no, no. I'm, scarred. I'm scarred. Scarred. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah. That yeah, was, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then what three things would you take with you on a deserted island? Whoa. Not people. We had to clarify this yeah. one with Joe because Joe lovingly automatically defaulted to his family. That is really lovely. It is. <laughs> but, but we want inanimate objects for this uh, list only. So I can't take my cat That's or my dog. Okay. No, sorry. Okay. Inanimate object. Okay. I'd probably take a Harry Potter book. Right. So I'd probably bring the third Harry Potter book because Azkaban is my favorite. I'm okay. a huge Harry Potter fan. So I'd probably do that. Um, let's see. Maybe like a game of some kind. What game would it be though? Like cards maybe? Or that could, I could play a lot or like catchphrase or something. Um, and then I'd probably bring, hmm, there's probably no Wi-Fi, huh? Because that would be great to like just watch Netflix because I'd love to do that. Joe wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, too, was like, I'll bring my, my phone, phone and a no solar charging phone. device. And then you'll just <laughs> I mean, okay, so I can't do that. Maybe I would bring a journal because I bet I would need to like. Write things out. Yeah, to think about sure. some things. You'd so have that's to probably what I'd about do. about that crab that picked a fight with you. Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love, uh, we, I love asking this question. <laughs> We've only, we asked it to Joe first and we were like, nope, we need, we this has to be it. a series yeah, regular. Yes. Uh, people's answers are fascinating where their brain goes first (laughs) all right perfect so i think that we're at our trivia point now so every episode we ask trivia and then we will give the answers at our next episode so you have to keep listening to Mm -hmm. tune in for them um and it's it's just for fun no pressure it's not a test no it's not a test (laughs) Um, okay, 
So, and Cassie doesn't know the questions either, so you guys are both going to be answering. Sweet. Okay, we got this, Cassie. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. All right. So, Jean-Baptiste Lully is often considered the father of French opera. Which of the following facts is not true about him? <laughs> After having pioneered the concept of the conducting stick, he fatally injured himself with one. I think that's true. He I credits think. a street performer at Mardi Gras with giving him his first music lessons on a recorder. <laughs> he was actually born in Italy. Which one's not true? Yeah. One of those three is false. I feel like... <sighs> I'm thinking my gut went to be Yeah, mine too. False. Mine too. Just seems like the most far-fetched one. Right. Kind of. But I think I've heard a story of somebody stabbing... <laughs> that, there was someone who stabbed themselves in the foot and died. A is more far-fetched far than dying from a baton injury. Oh, dying? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I think he that's fatally true. fatally injured himself. Oh, fatally. I just missed yeah. the I think that there. happened. There was somebody who stabbed themselves. It might not have been a baton, but somebody, like, stabbed themselves in the foot with a staff, and, like, they got, like, gangrene or something and died. I'm going to go with B. That's my answer. Okay. Yep. Me too. Cool. <laughs> All right. In 1782, at John Gray's The Beggar's Opera, which of the following events actually happened? A man named Mr. Whitlock tried to storm out during the performance, tripped, fell, and bled out from a head injury. Oh, no. <laughs> a woman named Mrs. Fitzherbert died laughing. Mm -hmm. A stagehand fell into the pit and crushed a violinist to death. Whoa. Which one is, did happen? Yeah, which one did happen? First of all, I don't want any of these I to know. happen. Like, wow. I Talk want... about like stage manager's nightmare. <laughs> My gut on this one is B because that's a saying that we say. I died laughing. And so like if oh. there had to be an origin, right? Maybe this is that. Oh. I'm going with B. That could be cool. I like that. I'm going to go with, was A the guy who bled out? Yeah. Mr. Whitlock tried to storm out during the performance. He tripped fell and then he bled out from his head wound okay not that i'd like wish that on anyone but that's also hilarious so i'm gonna pick that <laughs> okay <laughs> and i also love that he has a name mr whitlock mr whitlock well mrs Fitzherbert. Right. she also, also died laughing i'm yep. between for some reason i'm not like believing the violin one but the first two the violin one is also that's also pretty like, i mean could happen. That's a fear when you're on stage and you're looking to. Right. I have, fall into I the have pit. an irrational fear that I'm right. going to fall. It always the pit. makes me laugh because when we're setting up for performances, there's like these big orange or big yellow like cones and right. ropes the and, safety then, and, and then the performance starts and all of those go, away. go away and you're yeah. like, right. good luck. <laughs> Don't fall in. Like, I'm right. so, I have accidentally thrown things and not thrown. <laughs> like it, I was in a performance of Flittermouse and we had like plastic you know the glasses to mm -hmm. do the toast in mm -hmm. thank goodness they weren't real because we were dropping these left and right and i totally dropped one and kicked it into the pit by oh, accident no. and may have hit a bass player i don't know oh, it was no. so yeah it's a fear of mine well i've been involved in ones where the stage is raked and then mm -hmm. the things rolls right yeah, in yeah. the pit we've done um what show was it 
We did a show and we had smoke on stage. <gasps> yes. And uh, then the orchestra had a hard time breathing. Oh, right? no. So we had to do that differently. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Because right. we had smoke on stage for Maria de Buenos Aires. And yes. I remember we'd be off stage and you would see, we always have a monitor on the conductor. So if you're off stage mm-hmm. and you need to do any offstage singer or anything like that so we would always watch his monitor because it was like swirling uh-huh. clouds and mist we we're like oh scott looks so cool look at him it was <laughs> like a music video yeah it is. well on that note <laughs> i think that is a good time to to wrap up this podcast thank you so much miriam for joining us if you want to see miriam i know there will be plenty of opportunities she mentioned she's in carmen um we do a lot of family days for education um shows so if you are not currently active in a school um, you can come to a family day and see Miriam as Cinderella this year um, and so much more all around town yeah thanks for joining us Miriam thank you so much for having me this is so fun we'll be releasing a new behind the scenes podcast every month so make sure to check our website azopera.org and follow us on Facebook Instagram Twitter and LinkedIn and join our email list so you never miss a moment. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes is presented by Arizona Opera's Department of Education and Community Engagement. These programs are made possible in part thanks to the support from Karen Fruin, the Molly Blank Fund, Dr. Rex Brewster, Invest in Kids Charitable Gift Fund, the Marino Family Foundation, the Arizona Republic, Cardinals Charities, the City of Peoria, Desert Diamond Casino West Valley, Kiwanis of Lishfield, and a consortium of individual donors. The Behind the Scenes podcast is also part of the Arizona Opera NextGen initiative that encompasses a wide variety of programs that go beyond the opera stage to develop the next generation of opera artists, audiences, and philanthropists. To learn more about the programs that are part of the Arizona Opera NextGen initiative, please visit azopera.org and click NextGen Initiative. These programs are made possible in part thanks to generous support from Karen Fruin, Roma Whitkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Molly Blank Fund, APS, Jody Pelusi, and a consortium of individual donors. We would like to extend a special thanks to the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. This podcast is produced by its hosts, Cassie Robel and Kathleen Trott, with editing and music composition by Sean Mallow.